A couple of years ago, when I was uh, living in Dallas, we went to a place called Hurricane Harbor. Uh, it's in Arlington, Texas, and uh, it is a, it's a, a place where you go, they have, a, um, they have like a wave pool, and my favorite is the Lazy River. Think about that. It's a river... And it's lazy. I mean, it's perfect. It's a great, lazy river. It's great. You just sort of float along. And, and they have other rides there, of course. They have something called Black Hole. And it's kind of uh, in this, uh, like a little sp- spaceship. And you go around and there's water. And it's okay. And they have one called uh, Geronimo. And that's kind of cool. And they have one that you do this. And that's kind of cool. And then they have this. This is called Der Stuka. In German, that means only stupid people ride this. That, that's what that means. And so, when you're floating along in the lazy river, Der Stuka is there kind of taunting you, whispering to you, if you will. It's saying things like, hey, sissy boy, over there in the lazy river, what are you made of? And, and so, I remember going, and there's Der Stuka, and I had my kids with me, and my two oldest daughters decided that they would like to ride Der Stuka. Now, uh, if you like a heads up, and you, this is wisdom from your pastor, if you go to a ride and there's no line, there's a reason. And uh, so we go to the, the, this, this curly thing, that's the stairwell, and we had to walk a long way before we ever got to anybody because this thing is 74 feet of drop. And you go as fast as you go. It's just really kind of dumb. And we got up to the top, and I asked the little attendant there, I said, does anybody ever walk back down? And, and she said, yeah, a lot of people like you. Uh, and so I thought that was a little rude. And um, so we watched a couple of folks go down. There's one guy that went down, and he screamed like a little girl. And I was like, oh, my word. And I, uh, but the kids wanted to do it. So my oldest, Amaris, and I think she was about 12 at the time, she gets in there, and when you slide down Der Stuka, you cross your legs and your arms like you're in a coffin, and, uh, uh, and you go down as fast as humanly possible. And Amaris did it, my oldest, and Mallory did it. And now it's my turn, and I'm a pastor, and so I prayed that the water would stop because uh, they can't send you if the water's not running. And then I asked the attendant, I said, did you hear that? I, I think it was thunder. And she said, no, that's you whimpering. And, and so again, very rude little girl. And so I got in the chute, and I crossed my arms and my legs like you're in a coffin. And uh, you, kinda, you have to kind of scoot yourself over, and, then you, and if you don't scooch fast enough, they push you which she did, little punk. Um, and I remember watching Amaris and Mallory, and I'm, I'm calculating, I'm doing the physics. Okay, they weigh 60, 70 pounds, and they, they went really, really fast. This is going to shock you, but I weigh more than that. And uh, uh, I was thinking to myself, I am really, really going to go fast on this thing. And sure enough, uh, I went really really fast and I got to the bottom and the girls were laughing they thought it was the greatest thing ever and it was much like that special little examination you get when you turn 50 Uh, uh, it was much like that for me I can tell you know what I'm talking about so uh, And then we did it again, (laughs) because there's something about, it was exciting to us, and so we did it, and we sort of took the plunge, and today we're going to kind of take the plunge into talking about joy, 
Because the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is to be our strength. And so if you'll recall, a couple of weeks ago we began talking about this, these couple of verses that lots of you know, because if you've been in church much, these are verses we talk about. And it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. By the way, do you notice it just says the fruit, not the fruits. It, this is what happens when we are close to Jesus. And so, uh, these things love, joy, peace, patience, etc. They are indicators of how close you are to the Lord, honestly. And so if I feel like there's a lot of love in my life, a lot of joy in my life, peace, if I have this in my life, that's a good indicator that I'm really, really close to Jesus. And so today we're really going to talk about just one of these things. We're going to talk about joy. Now, there's a misunderstanding in our world today about happiness and joy. We kind of equate the two, but they're really quite different. Happiness has to do with their circumstance. In fact, the word happiness comes from the word happenstance. And that means when I'm in a certain moment, I'm happy, but when the moment is over, I'm not happy anymore. So you go to Disneyland, it's the happiest place on earth. Well, you leave Disneyland, it's not as happy. Or you go to a movie, or you go to a water park. You do something that promotes happiness, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It can be addictive. I mean, it could be drugs, or it could be something illicit, and this uh, temporary moment of happiness leaves. Joy is deeper than that. It has a different source, frankly, because when we talk about the joy of the Lord, that means it comes from God. The Hebrew word is this, chedva. It's kind of a cool word. It basically means to dance around uh, in happiness and in joy. And I think about my girls when my girls were little and they would, they would just wake up and they would dance around. And I love that. And they get a twirly dress. You all know if you've got girls, they have twirly dresses. And that means when they twirl, their dress floofs out. And floof is a new word I just invented. Uh, the word kind of floofs out. And, and, and I remember how much... How great it was that they just found joy in this new dress or this thing. And, and so, if we're talking about fruit of the Spirit, let's, let's use this um, agricultural analogy. Let's just carry it on. When I plant a plant, there are certain things I want to block. I want to block the weeds. I want to block the insects. I want to block you know, like the rabbits from eating it. There's certain things I want to block. And there are certain things I want to uh, enhance. And so uh, I want to make sure it has fertilizer and it has the right amount of water and it has uh, you know, the right soil and the right sunshine. And so today we're going to talk about joy in sort of those terms. What things block my joy? Because there are, I'm going to give you three. There are probably more than three, but I'm going to give you the three most common ones. And then we're going to see what builds up our joy because this text when he says hey the the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience right before that he asks this question what has happened to all your joy we're living in a time where it's easy to lose our joy i mean watch the news you've got you know you've got inflation and you've got uh, uh, afghanistan going on and covid and there's just so much negativity and so it's easy for us to lose our joy and so let's talk about sort of some things that block joy and then I'm going to get to the good stuff but let's kind of work through these just real quickly one joy blocker is unrealized expectations maybe you thought your marriage would be better than this or your job would be better than this or uh, your health would be better than this and it's not exactly what you want it to be now the guy that wrote 
the part about the fruit of the Spirit is a dude named Paul. He wrote much of the New Testament. And he talks about joy in other books. There's one called Philippians. He talks a lot about joy in that. And he says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. And then he says, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or what, uh, or want, there is a secret to contentment. And it's this, I'll give it to you. Contentment doesn't come when you have everything, it's when you're satisfied with what you have. Can I be content with what I have? Now, having ambition, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're, if you're never satisfied with anything then it's a struggle and it blocks your joy. The second one is unresolved conflict. This one will kill you, by the way. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. It's pretty simple, straightforward. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. I'm your pastor. I'm going to give you some advice. It's probably a good idea to stop keeping score. A lot of us, we're offended and we just keep score. And they offended us, and then they really offend us again. And, and I don't know about you, but there are people in our lives that it's easy to, to, to be offended by. And so you make every effort. I love that text, make every effort. That doesn't mean it's going to work out. It just means you're, as much as it depends on you, you try to live at peace with everyone. And, and so you, you make every effort, and then if it doesn't work out, you walk away. Because you don't want to live a joyless life. It's just not God's plan for you. In Philippians, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. And so Paul is saying, hey, uh, let, let us join together as followers of Jesus. Let's be like-minded. Let's have the same love. Let's be of one spirit. Let's get along, is what he's saying. And so don't let, don't let unresolved conflict rob you of your joy. The other one is unconfessed sin. This is like a cancer in your soul. There's a guy named David. He wrote some of the Psalms in the Old Testament. David had committed adultery, and then he had had the guy, his mistress's husband, murdered. Uh, think about that. The guy was a, an adulterer and a murderer, and yet he's called a man after God's own heart because God is forgiving. And so David prayed to be forgiven. And look, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, he says. He was confronted with his sin. He asks forgiveness whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. This is the place you want to be. You just want to be, you want to keep short accounts with God. And then he says this, because he, he wants to contrast it. He says, oh, well, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, I groaned all day. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Really interesting, by the way. Uh, how much water evaporates in the summer heat in South Carolina? Uh, the answer is zero. Uh, none. Uh, if you were out yesterday working at all, uh, all we do is sweat. I mean, we just sweat. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, I'm going to go in just a little bit and get in my car, and from here to my car, I'm going to sweat. I mean, it's just how it works. This was written uh, in an arid condition. You obviously can tell this, right? Uh, David writes this uh, in the Middle East where there's a little less water, a little less humidity. Uh, but that's kind of funny. My strength evaporates like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. <laughs> we are just foolish, aren't we, sometimes? It's like, 
I'm going to try to hide what I've done from the God who knows everything. He said, I, I stopped that. I said to myself, I confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. And then I love this part. All my guilt is gone. We don't have to live with it. You don't have to live with it. It's maybe the best news. Maybe you came today to hear that word. You don't have to live with guilt. You just don't have to. And so these are joy blockers. And then David does something that we can do. Now, let's review real quickly because I, I want to make sure I went the wrong way. I want to make sure that we, we do a little self-assessment. So ask yourself the question, do you have uh, any unsatisfied expectations that are kind of keeping you from joy? Uh, are you currently in conflict with anybody that you could get out of conflict with? Uh, do you have any guilt that's robbing you of your joy? Because David prayed this. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. There are prayers that God is uber eager to answer. And this is one of them. The joy of the Lord is to be our strength. It's kind of what we're supposed to live in. So how do you do it? I mean, sometimes we talk about this stuff in theory. Let's talk about this in complete practicality. What do we have to do? Well, first, let's look at God the right way. God is a God of joy. He's full of joy. And last week we talked about this verse, and it's so good, I brought it back for a second week because it's so good. Um, in Zephaniah, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Joy is at the heart of God. Have any of you heard about a guy named G.K. Chesterton? He was a, a theologian. He wrote some stuff. It's, he's not super well known. But he wrote something that I find incredibly profound. And if you don't mind, it's a paragraph. I hope it's okay, but I'm going to read it to you. Because he talks about the difference between children and adults and how it relates to God. Listen. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they, therefore they want things to be repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. All of us parents know what that's like. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong about, uh, enough to exult in the monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. Is it possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon? It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. Perhaps God makes every daisy separately, but He just likes the way they look that way. It may be that He has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old. And our Father is younger than we. I love that. In contrast, think about um, the creation story. You remember it, right? Found in Genesis. And God makes things. And He says, it is good. And so uh, he, he gets up on Monday morning and uh, He says, okay, well, I'm going to separate light from darkness. And He does that. And, and the Bible says that uh, God looked at what He had done and it, He said it was good. He, he's kind of excited about it. It's sort of like he, uh, he dances around. This is exciting to him. And then he separates uh, you know, the, the earth from the sky, and he, and he says, this is good. And he creates plants, and this is good. And he creates animals, and this is good. And then he creates mankind, and he says, uh, this is very good. And God sort of is excited 
in what he's created. And then he says, thank me, it's Friday. And uh, he has a day off, and that's great. And, and um, that's funny, I don't care who you are. Uh, <clears throat> and, and, and God, he, he's excited about the everyday, because he creates the everyday. And I'm afraid some of us suffer from a disease called taking things for granted. I had a little exercise in that this week. We take so much for granted. We really do. So at my house, I'm on a well. Um, I don't think it's really sophisticated how this works very much. But at your house, you probably aren't on a well. But we are on a well. And so we have, evidently, there's a hole in the ground somewhere. Uh, I know exactly where it is. There's a hole in the ground, and there's a pump down there. And it pumps water up and through a hose and uh, into a pipe. And the pipe goes into my house, and I have water. And that works wonderfully unless there is a break in the piping system, which happened to me this week. And so uh, this pipe comes in the ground and it comes up and it goes into my, uh, into my pump. And that was great, except the pipe broke. And then you don't have water. And when you don't have water, I think we take for granted turning a spigot on and water coming out because it always happens for us, except at my house, when the pipe breaks. And I was thinking, my word, this is, this is horrible not to have water. And then I looked up. Uh, would anybody like to guess how many people in the world don't have access to clean water immediately like we do every single day of our lives? It's somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 billion people on this planet don't enjoy water the way we do. 2.2, according to the World Health Organization. Can you imagine one-third of the population of this planet does not have a, a, a toilet system. One-third of the planet. So, next time you flush, thank Jesus. Uh, that's, all, that's the whole point. Uh, it, it is great that we have these things. We take stuff for granted every time... The sun comes up. That is a gift from God. We take things for granted. Our heart is beating. We're, uh, our lungs are filled with air. These are all gifts from God. And God never takes anything for granted. He just doesn't. And could it be that every day He says, uh, Sun, it's time to rise. Sun, it's time to set. I kind of like the way that I think about that. And so today, uh, when you're at lunch and you're about to eat your meal, think about being thankful for that. Because God is this God of joy, and He gives us. Do, do you? I enjoy good food, don't you? I just I love it. I love good food. Some of you all are cheese people. I know <laughs> that's weird, uh, and uh, uh, you like cheese on everything. I mean, that's not even that's from Satan. Uh, and uh, but you like it. That's okay. But do you ever think to yourself, man, this is great? It's just great. I had oh, oh I know it's close to lunch. But I got to tell you. Last night, mm, I had some burnt ends of the brisket. Oh, it was a religious experience. I mean, it was something. There's something about it. There's just something about it. And we just take for granted that all these things that God gives us. The second thing we got to do is we got to start looking for reasons to celebrate. Find something. We celebrate a good grade. Uh, we celebrate um, uh, first day of school. <laughs> Thank you that they're gone. Uh, we celebrate uh, last day of school. We celebrate, uh, we've got two, one, two that we call Celebrate Life Days. Uh, November 1st for us 
It was a Celebrate Life Day for the vests. We were in a car accident many, many years ago, and uh, our car collided with another car, and the people in the other car perished, and we were really were injured, and I had my two oldest daughters with me, and, and uh, we celebrate that day. November 1st is a Celebrate Life Day. July 3rd is a Celebrate Life Day. I had a heart attack on July 3rd about 20 years ago. We celebrate life. You want to know how you celebrate life on July 3rd? You eat ribs. Uh, that's how you do it. Uh, because the Bible says this, every good action and every perfect gift is from God. We need to, to notice, God, this is great. Thank you for this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We just need to notice. Maybe your kid hits a home run. Celebrate. Find a reason to celebrate. We just went through this series about the feasts in the Old Testament. God specifically uh, commanded His people to have these seven feasts every year. It's as if God programmed into the mentality of His people, I need you to celebrate. So you'll recall, right, that some of those were um, uh, celebrations of harvest, well, Lord, thank you for the harvest, and you're, you're thanking God for what He's given you. It's, it's important to thank God for the harvest. So you, they did that at the early harvest, they did it at the late harvest. God prescribes it because we need to celebrate. And there's this one passage in Deuteronomy 14. This is a verse we never read at the Baptist church when I grew up. I'm just going to show it to you. Now, Moses says to his people, hey, uh, sell some things, you're going to gain some money, and then this is what he says. He says, use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, or fermented drink. Didn't read that in the Baptist church. Or uh, anything you wish. And then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. This isn't a license, obviously, for abuse. What he's saying is joylessness is sin. You have been blessed. We need not take it for granted. And so we, we look for things to be joyful about. We, we can find them. They're, they're there. Can you imagine what the world would think about Christians if the two things we were most noted for was love and joy? It would change everything, wouldn't it? Now, you're saying, Pastor, that's fine for some people, but I've got it tough. Okay, I'm a, I'm a, let's talk about it. You've got to release your problems to the Lord. We talked about... The guy that wrote this text was a guy named Paul, right? The whole love, joy, peace, patience guy is a guy named Paul. Paul had a friend named Silas. They were buddies. They traveled, started churches. They went one time and they were planting this church and, and they were trying to do some things. Now, it's a different culture and they were uh, assaulted. In fact, uh, people didn't like their message. And so I, I'm gonna sh let me read a little bit to you. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. This is Acts 16. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. That's not good. After they had been severely flogged, think about that language, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet, feet in the stocks. So they're doing nothing wrong. They're preaching about Jesus. People didn't like the message. They arrested them. They beat them with rods. I can't even imagine what that would feel like. They threw them into the, inner, the innermost part of the prison because they were considered, I guess, notorious. 
They were fastened, their feet were fastened in stocks. And then this is what the next verse is. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And I'm thinking to myself, nobody knows the trouble I've said. I mean, they're singing the blues, right? That's kind of what I'm thinking. But that's not what it means. The word praying there literally means they were praising and singing hymns to God. Now, the funniest part of that verse is, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Well, yeah, because uh, they're singing out loud and everybody can't avoid but hearing. And can you imagine the testimony? They've just been beaten, <laughs> thrown into prison, feet are shackled, uh, and they have this capacity to praise. It's amazing. We experience what we're looking for. That's how, how it works. A couple weeks ago, we traveled to Salt Lake City on a mission trip. It is easy to be annoyed with TSA and the whole airline industry. It's really anno- It's easy. It really is. If you've de- traveled by air, it's easy. You have to wear a mask in the airport. You have to wear a mask on the plane, except when you're eating uh, the bag of peanuts they give you that has seven peanuts in there. Um, they used to give you like a 20 liter. Uh, now they give you like two ounces of water. And, uh, and they expect you to be happy. And if you're over three feet tall, you have no leg room. It's just really not much. And, and so the, the, you can find the negative. Or I got to thinking about it. Well, okay. I got in an airplane in Greenville, South Carolina, and I flew to Atlanta and then to Salt Lake City, and it took a few hours, but if I had driven, it would have taken over 30 hours, so I'm very happy about that. And while I was on the plane, the person in front of me didn't lean their chair back the whole way, so that was great. And I got peanuts and cookies while I was on the airplane. It's awesome. I mean, not everybody got that. Uh, I had to ask, Uh, but uh, that was awesome. I mean, you, can, you see what you're looking for, just how it works. If I'm looking to be annoyed, guess what? It is super easy to be annoyed. You can be annoyed all day long, every day. There is lots of things to be annoyed with. Or, if you want to have joy, you can find it. Look at what James says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. What? He said, yeah, 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 Um, because it's testing your faith and your growing perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Um, I got through TSA. It was great. I I didn't get frisked. That was awesome. Uh, I took my belt off. My pants stayed up. Uh, Great. I had a a great day. It was a great day. I mean, if you think about it, uh, when the conveyor belt, belt came through, both of my shoes were there. Uh, there. There's much to be happy about if you look for it. Just have to look for it. One more. Start today. Start today. This is the day the Lord has made. If, if I were to ask you, what is the greatest 24 hours you've ever spent in your life? What would you say? I mean, you might say, okay, it was the day I was born. That is a great day. The day you were born is a fabulous day. You might say, well, okay, it was the first day that um, I took a step. I went from being immobile to being mobile. It's a great day. It really is great. You, you might say, okay, no, it was the first time I learned to talk. Learning to talk is a great thing. And you go from being you know, uh, unable to communicate to being able to communicate. That's a great day. Maybe it was the first time you had a friend and you're thinking, man, I had this great friend and that first day I had a friend, that's a really, really good day. 
your first job. Maybe your first job is the best day you've ever had, or the first time you got a paycheck, because that really is cool, or your first date, or the first time you fell in love. Miriam and I met in seminary uh, in Dallas, and so uh, we went to uh, one of our very first dates. I think it was the second date, but it might have been the very first date. I can't re- exactly remember. We, when you're in seminary, you have no money, just no money. And so what we decided we would do, and by we, I mean me, what I decided I would do with Miriam that day on that date is I took her to the airport, and around the airport there's a tram that takes you from terminal to terminal, and we sat on the tram and rode around for about two hours. That was the date. And when she went out with me again, I knew she was the one I needed to marry. Uh, because how many people would tolerate that? And so, I, I mean, what was the best day of your life? Was it the day you got engaged? I used to pray that, the, that Jesus wouldn't come back until after my honeymoon. Because I knew that was going to be a good day. I mean, I just knew it. You know, uh, Maybe it was the day that your child was born. or Maybe it was the day that you met the Lord. Those are good days. You've had a lot of good days. But I'm going to suggest another day that might be the best day. Today. Because this is the day that God has given you. And it really doesn't matter if everything goes your way because the Lord is with you all day, every day. You can't really get those other days back. They're gone. Tomorrow's not promised to you. So today is a great day. It is a super day. This is the day the Lord has made. It's really important that we not blow past this. Joy is yours if you choose it. It's there if you choose it. It's all around us. My daughter Mallory, she's our second daughter, and they had just visited... I remember Mallory was the one kid of our four who noticed everything. She just noticed everything. And she was always looking and looking for the details. And I remember one time we were walking from our house to church. We lived in the parsonage and it was really close. And and she was right there. And I, I was holding her hand and I was trying to get to church. And Mallory was noticing everything. And she was talking to me about everything. And so she would see a rock, and it was shiny, and she liked that rock. And she would see uh, a flower, and she liked that flower. And so there, she just noticed everything. And I want to be like that. I want to notice all the good going on all over the place. So let's review real quick. Guard against those joy killers. We don't want those. Start looking for God's goodness all around because it's there. Start today. Let's start today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message of joy which can be ours that you want us to have. It's a gift you've given us that you want us to have. I pray, Father, that we would be mindful of your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.